Matthew 15 is where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 15. And as you find it, if you wouldn't mind standing in honor of the reading of the scripture. And uh, we, we, I like to stand just out of respect for God's word. Um, I think if, honestly, if we were to gather on a Sunday and all we did was read scripture, it'd be, it would be a worthy exercise. Um, it would lift up the Lord. It would help us. Uh, we need the Bible. We don't need man's opinions. And uh, that's what we hope to get this morning, Matthew 15. Um, and we're, we're taking a few weeks off of Genesis. We finished it a few weeks ago. And here in just the next few weeks, we'll be transitioning into, um, I believe we're going to do the book of John. And so excited about that um, and been wanting to preach out of one of the Gospels for a while. Um, but in the meantime, uh, I'll be visiting or maybe revisiting um, some truths that I've preached before, maybe in a different way. Um, and let me give you a philosophy on that. Sometimes we think, well, every message has to be new or it's not, there's no value in it. Um, but if you read the Bible, there's a lot of this uh, by way of remembrance. I need you to remember in the Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. By way of remembrance, you set these stones up as a stone or a marker of remembrance of what God has done. In the New Testament, the idea is the same. And unless you've mastered every one of the basic truths, it's good for us to hear some of the basic truths again. And so, I, and I think you're like me. I, I, I've heard truth my whole life, and yet there are still some things I struggle with getting right. And um, today might be one of those, um, and it may be a message you've heard before. I've preached something very, um, out of the same passage before, and maybe if I give you a no, different illustration, you'll think it's a completely different message. Not that you'll remember anyway. Okay, so Matthew 15. Uh, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Then came Jesus, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Whoa, like he jumps right back at them here. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. We'll explain that. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah, Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Where is Jesus? They've left him far behind. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? Isn't that silly for them to say, Jesus, did you, didn't you know? Well, yet yeah, he knows everything. What are you thinking? Of course he knew they were offended, but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. By the way, some people might say, well, Jesus 
is not showing mercy. He's being heartless to the Pharisees. No, he just had an entire exchange with them to try to help them to see the truth, and they rejected the truth. So he gives them a chance, and they reject it. Verse 15, then answered Peter, of course, Peter speaks up, and said unto him, declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draft or the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. And I think he makes it really clear what our biggest problem is. And this morning, I'm just going to be preaching to you on this simple thought, do you have religion or do you have a relationship? Do you have religion or do you have a relationship? Because we've got one set of people the Pharisees in this passage, that clearly only have religion. There is no relationship. And we say, well, yeah, those people were wrong for doing that, and yet we can be guilty of the same thing. So let's ask the Lord to bless our time and think about religion or relationship. Father, thank you for the reading of your word, allowing us to stand and read it together. I pray that we would find power in the word. I pray that you would help us to have open hearts. And God, if there's anyone here this morning who has come in with, with big spiritual questions and maybe questions even regarding their eternity, I, I beg you, Lord, would you please, your Holy Spirit, would you please move in a special way this morning and speak to our hearts in a way that you illuminate the word and let us see where we fall short and what decisions we need to make. God, we're begging you to do a work in our midst today. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. I, I saw an ad recently that reminded me so much of married life. And I was sitting in the Dallas airport and a commercial came on um, as I was eating, a commercial uh, about this couple and they're on a camping trip and they were unpacking the car and realized that the life jackets hadn't been packed on the trip, okay? So um, just bear with me, maybe you've seen it. But the man then says to the woman, you said you would bring the life jackets. And the woman looks back at the man um, and says, no, you said you would bring the life jackets. So it's kind of you know, an exchange some married couples might have every once in a while. So the man then pulls out a red challenge flag like they do in the NFL and says, I would like a replay, an instant replay. Uh, man, just so you know, don't ever do this, okay? <laughs> so he pulls out this red flag. He throws the red flag and says, we want a replay. I want a replay of this conversation. So this guy, this random person shows up and he's got a monitor and they each put on a pair of headphones and they look at the monitor and at the end of watching the replay of the exchange of who would bring the life jackets, um, the wife turns to the husband and says, you know my favorite part was when you said, obviously I won't forget the life jackets. So big surprise, the woman was right. She remembered the details. And listen, if that isn't accurate, nothing is. My wife and I will have conversations I don't remember at all sometimes. 
She remembers every word. And man, it's a good thing there's not instant replay. Because if there was, that, that shred of doubt that we might be right would be gone every single time. So, you know, there are times when my wife will ask me, I'm thinking about this message from her perspective, that she'll ask me to do something and I literally just don't remember her asking. And men, we're good at a lot of things, but there are some things we struggle with, like listening. Some of the men were like, what? What was that? No. Like listening, see? Sometimes my wife will ask a question about something important, but I'm thinking about something important too, like who won the 1995 Super Bowl? You know, that's important in that moment. And my wife is wanting to talk about something and, and I, I don't answer because I'm not necessarily paying attention. And that's got to be frustrating for her. Uh, men are good at a lot of things, but we're sometimes not good at remembering. She'll ask me to run an errand or bring something home and I get busy and forget and it happens. Now the things I did were done very well, I will say that, but the things I forgot, I'm sorry. My wife, she never forgets, she just doesn't. Some things that men are, are not good at as well are, is communicating. You know, some, the way I said that is a perfect example. Some things we're not good at is communicating. <laughs> Sometimes us men, we find it hard to express ourselves. I know that I do, and she'll ask me about how my day was, and I'll say fine, and then she'll start recapping her day, and it's very detailed. I'll just stop there. You know, the difference is, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, but the differences are, are probably frustrating at times to my wife. And, and I wonder if sometimes if my wife... Um, could trade me out for a lower maintenance model. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes, Bob, you're wows, anyway. <laughs> I mean, and I was, so I was thinking, well, how can I do this? And I've, I've used this illustration before, and I had an old picture, and so I went looking through my phone for selfies, and I've got to proudly say that I could not find a selfie of me on my phone, okay? That's the way a man's phone probably ought to be, by the way. So I had to, my wife had sent a picture of me to a group text because they were needing it for something. And, and this is not a picture I took, so I'm just going to show this picture. This is a picture taken recently at our friend day. And, and uh, this is the only recent picture I have of myself. And, and so I wonder, though, sometimes if my wife, if she could, would trade me out for this guy. I mean the picture. See, he always looks at her when she's talking. <laughs> he never leaves a mess in the bathroom. He never leaves his clothes lying around. He's always smiling. Even if the food isn't his favorite, he'll never say anything about the meal. He'll just accept it and smile. And I wonder if sometimes my wife thinks, that would be so much easier. Men, don't ask your wife. Let's just keep wondering, would this be easier? Well, let's suppose then that my wife does make the trade. And at first, it seems like a perfect situation. There are no messes. There are no clothes laying around. She never has to argue my, ar ar argue, iron my clothes. We have no arguments. There's no maintenance. But I believe it wouldn't take long to realize that with all of the benefits, with all of the perks, there's also something very important missing. You see, that, what is special about marriage is the relationship. That's where it finds meaning. And you cannot, as much as you would like to, you cannot replace the interactions in a marriage relationship um, with a photograph. 
and, and I, you can turn that off, thank you. I don't want to keep looking at it anyway. Um, but, but you know, the idea, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to be silly. I know it's a silly illustration, but I hope that you understand that that is what we do sometimes when it comes to the Lord. And that, you know, he wants a real relationship. He wants genuine interaction. He wants a daily communion. And sometimes, though, we trade out a real relationship for the form of a relationship, for an image of a relationship, for something that is strictly outward, for the words that we say, or the clothes that we wear, or the things that we do. And God longs for a relationship with mankind, but we often replace him with form, something that represents God, but isn't really God. He wants fellowship, and that's evidenced by the simple fact that he created us. And did you realize that God, he had no reason to create us except that he wanted interaction with us. He wanted fellowship with us. But instead of enjoying the, enjoying the actual relationship, many have replaced the real person, God, with religion. And I'm not in any way saying that I'm representing God in this picture. I'm using that illustration to help us understand what we do sometimes is far less fulfilling than what God is offering to us. And most people, for most people, their faith is not about a relationship with God. Their, rather, their faith, their religion is about form. And it seems easier at front, but in the end, it is as empty and unfulfilling and lonely as being married to a photograph. See, man's concept of religion is far different than God's, God's idea. And, and we find that out in the first nine verses of this text. These scribes and Pharisees, they come and they're concerned, you know, air quotes, they're concerned that the disciples um, are eating on the Sabbath day and they're not doing things the way that they're supposed to be doing them. So they come and the, these scribes and Pharisees are the religious experts of the day. They were well known for their religious zeal and especially in regards to certain parts of the Old Testament law. And they would make a very small principle. They would take a small principle and turn it into something very large and they would add endless lists of rules and regulations to the people. They were also the primary enemies of Jesus Christ because he saw through their hypocrisy and he even preached against it. He calls them hypocrites right here in this passage that we read. So this passage deals with washing before eating food, which that was a firmly held rule. It was a firmly held tradition based on the demands of the Old Testament um, but that the Jews, they would say they should maintain separation from Gentiles and cleanliness before eating. Now understand, uh, there's not a specific Bible, biblical command to wash in the way that the Pharisees and the scribes were saying you should wash. They had come up with a tradition. They had added tradition to the law and they'd even elevated tradition above the law. So here's an excerpt, just to, just to give you an idea. Here's an excerpt from the writing of the scribes. He said, this is not scripture, this is their writing. It says, my son, attend to the words of the scribes. More than to the words of the law. For in the words of the law are affirmatives and negatives. But everyone that transgresses the words of the scribes is guilty of death. Wow. Here's how binding the tradition of washing was. He who neglects hand washing deserves to be punished here and hereafter. He is to be destroyed out of the world. 
For in hand washing is contained the secret of the Ten Commandments. They would say that one who neglected hand washing after eating was as bad um, as a murderer. So they would say that you had to immerse your entire body if you came in contact uh, with a Gentile. They would say that a vessel bought from a Gentile had to be immersed and washed, put into boiling water, purged with fire, or polished. And Christ points out that their elevation of man-made tradition has overtaken the very law of God. He says in verse 3, because they come say, well, your, your, your followers are doing this. They, they've just, they, they're transgressing the tradition of the elders. They wash not their hands when they eat bread. So he answers and says in verse 3, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? And he, then he uses this example of honoring parents as an illustration. He says, for God commanded saying, honor thy father and mother. And that's one of the commandments. And he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So in Jewish culture, the son was obligated to take care of his parents if they were needy. And by the way, that's not a bad thing for children to take care of their parents in times of need. I think that should be something that we value in our culture. Well, in Jewish culture, they were obligated, but the religious leaders had found a way around the obligation. Okay, So they would say that, that you could ceremonially dedicate your money to the work of God so you didn't have to give it to your parents. And this was dishonoring, Jesus says, to the father and mother, but they were excusing it in the name of, of God. So they had elevated their tradition above the spirit of the commandment to honor your father and mother. And Jesus Christ very clearly condemns their actions and he tells them that you have nullified or made of none effect the commandment of God because of your traditions. And then in verse 7, he makes it real clear what he thinks. He says, ye hypocrites... Well did Isaiah, or Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So here they are saying, here is money, and they know this money should be going to help dedicate to their parents and help their parents with their needs. But they would come to the, to the church, or ceremony, not to the church, the temple, and ceremonially dedicate it to God, and everyone would pat them on the back, saying, oh, you are a spiritual person. Look at you saying the right things, doing the right things, dedicating or ceremonially de dedicating your money to God, but in their heart. So their lips were saying one thing, but their heart was all about, well, I want to keep this for myself. I, I will dis I'm dishonoring my parents by ceremonially dedicating it to God. And Jesus says, it's just like the days of Isaiah when he said, you draw nigh to me with your mouth, but your lips are far from me. He says, and you come and you worship in that way, but even your worship is vain. Your approach to religion is empty and worthless, is what he says. And how terribly sad that people that had the opportunity to literally talk face to face with Jesus Christ got it this wrong. But they weren't the only ones guilty. See, mankind has always tended toward outward tradition because we place more value on the things that we see. 
I was just talking about this in Sunday school. Appearance is very important to us. And the reason that the children of Israel got excited about their first king, remember? King Saul, the reason they got excited about it was be, about him, is it because he was spiritual? Is it because he was a good leader? Is it because he was wise? No, he was tall. He stood out. And they automatically assumed, because he's tall, that he would make a good king for us. And we know how Saul turned out. Listen, it's usually easier to do something than to be something. It's easier to act like you are something than to actually be something. And I've used this before too, but it's true. I could use YouTube to fix something on my car, um, but that does not make me a mechanic. Uh, it, and very much not a mechanic, by the way. I could use YouTube to help me work on a project at home that does not make me a contractor. I'd be better off calling Heath to fix my car or Brother Juan or Brother Phil to come and work on something at my house that it, I could do something, but it doesn't mean that I am being something. There's a big difference, and sometimes we get those things flipped around. We think if I do the things that Christians do, then I am a Christian. But that's what Jesus is saying is all wrong in our thinking. The scribes and Pharisees, they tended, they tended to cover or to do, uh, do over being and, and it gained them notoriety. For instance, they would come into the, into the streets and they would pray and, and everyone would pat them on the back and say, what a prayer. They'd go into the temple and they would give and they would give so much, but they would make sure everyone caught a glint of what they were giving in the sun before they dropped it into the plate so they could get attention. And Jesus says, you're doing what you do to be seen of men. And you have your reward, by the way, he says. And when we do what we do in the name of religion to simply be seen of men, we have our reward. And that means that God isn't pleased with it. He's not looking at that and saying, that's what I wanted. No, God wants a heart relationship. That's why he said, you draw nigh to me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. And listen, I don't want your mouth only. I want your heart. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want meaningful interaction with you. While man is impressed with the outward deeds, God sees why we do them. Don't misunderstand. God is interested in what we do, but he's most concerned that it flows out of a heart of motivation um, for the right things. I mean, I use this example a lot too, but it, it tells the story. I, I love my children and I want them to obey. And as they get older, yes, I want them to do the right things, but I don't want them to always just do the right things because dad says to do the right things. I want them to eventually do the right things because they love their dad and they want to please their dad. And they, because of the relationship we have, then that's why they do what they do. And young people, listen, there should come a time in your life where your parents, you're not just doing what they tell you to do because they've told you, but because you love them and because they've sacrificed for you and because they've given for you. Listen, you have parents that love you. Do what you do because you love them. Transition from just doing to a person that is also being. And that's what God wants from us. The heart of the problem is the heart. It's true defilement in, in, in here that Jesus is talking about, but he does, it doesn't come from what you eat. I mean, I, I, there are many times where my kids 
would, would come, uh, you know, as, as children, they would be real little and crawling around. And, and I love it when they start crawling. It's, it's fun, they're moving. And, and then after a, 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 like a day, you're like, stop moving. You know, why did I want you to start crawling? It's like, where are they? I don't know. You know, there are plenty of times, though, when there's something on the floor or you come around the corner and their little mouth is chewing on something they found on the floor. And you're like, no, like, what are they eating? And you rush over there to get the bug out of their mouth or whatever it is. It's like, it's, there are worse things. I'm not going to say them here that we've caught our children chewing on, okay? You know, we really get panicked about that, don't we? But really, you know what? You know what the biggest problem for my children was? Not what they were putting in their mouth, um, but it was what was coming out of their heart. Right. You say, man, you must have really wicked children. No, we're all, every person is like this. We are born sinners. What defiles us is not what, we come, what comes in. It's not the food we eat. It's not eating the dirty, eating something that's not cleansed. No, our problem is that our heart is the problem. There's defilement in our heart. And we, by nature, are sinners. And we sin because we're sinners. Jesus explains it more. Look down in verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, and adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. He makes it very clear. Like that's a list of really terrible things. And if nothing else, that should cause us to re realize that it's not everybody around us that's our problem. We sometimes tend to blame our environment or we blame the kids that our kids are hanging around or, or we blame this certain thing in our life. No, you have enough going on in a wicked, sinful heart. That is the problem we all have. That's our biggest issue. These things that he mentions here, this is a bad list. He says, those are the things that come out of you. The, your heart is defiling you. It's not the things around you. It's not the things that you're putting in, although they can impact what you do. But in your heart is already, already the seeds of defilement. We sin because we're sinners. It's not the other way around. You know, and so it's, he says very clearly, it's sin, not dirty hands, that's our great problem. It's sin, not our dirty hands, that separates us from the fellowship for, with God that which we were created for. Listen, Adam and Eve weren't removed from the garden because they forgot to wash before supper. They were removed from the garden because they sinned. And we have the problem of sin. And listen, I know it's not a popular message, but it's a message that isn't preached very much anymore. And it's a message we need now in our country more than we ever have. We are sinners and we have a problem and God has an issue with us because of our sin. And so what we try to do though is rather than fix the problem, we turn to works. We turn to religion. We turn to outward form to cover up the problem and to appease our conscience. But the outward traditions will never help our sin problem. Right conduct is great. We ought to strive to do right. None of us in here would say, yeah, don't do right. No, we ought to. But God looks on the heart and he sees the sin is still present. Our good works do not negate a bad heart. It's like getting a cut. You know, you get a cut on your finger and, 
and, or slice your finger cutting something and, and maybe it gets a major infection and so um, you, you put a band-aid on it to hide it. And it may look better on the outside, but underneath there's still a problem, right? That infection is still present. And if you don't deal with the infection, the infection will come back and will deal with you. It will cause you an issue later. And in the same way, folks, our sin problem is the infection of the soul and the heart. And it must be taken care of if we're going to have a true relationship with God. And the only way, by the way, the only way to fix it is with the blood of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross in our place when we deserve to be on the cross. Listen, sometimes the cross becomes a symbol that is kind of a nice thing we wear around our necks. But it was a place of torture and shame and, and terrible death. And we should have been the ones hanging there. But Jesus Christ, the Lamb of glory, came down from heaven and died in our place, shed his blood for our sins so that our sins could be washed away. And only the blood of Jesus can provide the cleansing that every person in this room needs without the shedding of blood there is no remission and that word remission means to release from bondage or to pardon there is no pardon there is no release of your sin if you've never claimed the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away the sins of your life there's only one way to deal with our sin but here's our problem many are trying to disguise our problem with our own plans but friend, listen, anything you do apart from Jesus Christ to take care of your sin problem is like washing your hands when you have a dirty heart. See, outward works in religion um, is dealing with an issue, but it's not actually dealing with the main issue. If I've got cancer in my body, and many of you have faced that before, if I have cancer in my body, um, and I say, well, you know what? I really just need to do better at my hand washing. So I'm going to go get soap every day. I'm going to get, you know, every time I, I, before I eat, wake up in the morning, if I touch something dirty, I'm going to make sure that I wash my hands because I have this problem. Cancer is my problem and I need to get rid of it. You say, that would be a silly thing to do. It would not fix the problem. But listen, that's what many people are relying on religion to do in their life. They've got a big problem and it's hiding deep inside. And rather than dealing with the problem, they do something outwardly that other people can see and think that that's going to fix the issue. But it doesn't touch the issue. Christ could see their dirty hearts. And he said, clean hands can't clean a heart. He also said it this way, you draw nigh with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And unfortunately, many people are content to deal with God from a distance. I mean, I think we'd be surprised at how many people have a long-distance relationship with God. As long as God watches over me and protects me, that's fine with me. And that's kind of the way that God has become. You know, he's this God up in heaven who, yeah, he's always with us. He's watching over me and guardian angels. And, and yet, we think it's okay. As long as that happens, we're okay with that. But that's not what God wants from you. You know, they don't, maybe they, they do that because they don't like the feeling of being confronted by the Holy Spirit when they sin. So they keep God at a distance. And no one likes conviction, I'm telling you. 
You know, right now there may be somebody in this room and let that prompting in your heart, that heaviness in your heart, that's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit working, not through my words, but through the words of God. He's working in your heart. He's trying to teach you or tell you something. He's trying to convict you of your sin and let you know that if you die without Christ, you don't spend eternity in heaven or that you've got something in your life you need to fix. That's all that is. It's conviction, but it's no fun sometimes. We don't like those promptings. So, you know, we try to push it away. We don't necessarily want to feel bad when we come to church. You know, some Christians are at a distance because it just takes so much effort to have a relationship with God. I know he sent his son to die on a cross for my sins and give me heaven forever, but it's a lot to ask for me to give him 15 minutes in the morning to read my Bible. I mean, that's how silly it sounds. You know, we're okay with the distance because it's easier, but long-distance relationships are, aren't as good as being together. My wife and I, we, were, we got engaged and, and uh, then she moved back to California to teach in school for a year and I moved to Oklahoma, I was in Oklahoma and, and that was a, the longest eight years of my life that year. <laughs> Felt like it. It's no, it was no fun being apart. I mean, we talked a lot on the phone and, you know, it was back then when your cell phone service, you know, you had unlimited hours between like, 12 30 and 3 30 in the morning so every night I'm like how's it, how's it going yeah, yeah we'd talk every night I wanted nothing more than to be with her because long distance relationships are not easy and yet when it comes to our Christianity some of us are okay with a long distance relationship with God as long as he watches over me when I need him, that's good with me. Or as long as if I have an emergency, I can reach out and there he is. But that's not what he wants from you. He wants a closeness with you. He wants fellowship with you. He doesn't want lips that say the right things. He wants a heart that is close. And, and listen, there are some things then that we say, well, there's a gap and I've got to fill the gap and, and I don't really know what to do. But rather than deal with the sin problem, which is our issue, Rather than deal with our sin problem, which is what creates the gap in the first place, we make up the distance with religion. And we say, well, you know, this is what people do when they're close to God. So I, I guess I've got to do the things that people do so God will be pleased and we can be reconciled. So I'll go to church regularly or fairly regularly. I'm not saying it's bad to go to church. I mean, it'd be silly for me to say that because this is what I do. I think you ought to be in services. But if you are going to services to simply fill the gap in between you and God, it will not help the problem. Say, well, you know, I've got a gap between me and the Lord, and, and I, so I'm just going to live a decent lifestyle. And I'm thankful that you do, but that won't fix the sin problem. And I, I've got to place restrictions on what my kids watch, because that's what people that are close to God do. And, but that will not fix the problem, especially giving rules to your children that don't have a reason behind the rules. You ought to have rules for your children. You ought to give them some parameters and things. I think they need that, but you ought to tell them it's because we want to please God and obey God and live a holy life and please God, not just because mom and dad say so. We need to give to church because that's what people do. And, and we need, you know, there's people really dedicated. So, so you know, I'm going to give 10% and then, oh, people give to missions. I'll do that too. Oh, people give to building fund. I'll do that too. Or people are involved in this or that. Well, I've got to get involved because that gap feels pretty wide right now. And listen, activity is wonderful. But all the activity in the world doesn't mean that you'll live a life that God is pleased with. He says without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
So I'm asking you today, have you used religion to bridge the gap between you and God? That's not what it takes. No, what it takes first is for you to recognize your sin before him and come before him and say, I am a sinner and I need to be forgiven of my sin. That's the very first step. It is sin that is your problem, not activity. It is sin that is your problem, not religion. It starts with sin. And you humbling yourself before God, recognizing that he's the only way to take care of your sin problem. He, Jesus died on a cross for your sin. He's done all the work. All, it requires, all he requires is up is repenting of our sin, placing our faith in him alone. That's it. So that's where it starts. Today, maybe you have religion instead of relationship. And maybe you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. You've never done it. Listen, I'm telling you, if you do not place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will die and spend eternity separated from him. If you think the distance between you and God right now is bad, in eternity, it'll be, it'll be unbearable. And I'm telling you, if you will just take the step to humble yourself and say, I know that I'm a sinner and I know the wages of my sin is death, but God, you commended your love. You proved your love toward me and that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died in my place. You died for me. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God, I know I can't do anything about it, but your blood was shed for my sins. I accept your payment by faith. I receive you right now. Place my faith in you alone because I want to spend eternity in heaven with you but not just that I want a relationship down here with you listen many of you have tried to make religion the gap filler and it will not help you need a relationship some in here you say well I've done that but I'm really far from the Lord my heart, I feel like it's far from God and, and I just haven't been close in a while. Let me just tell you this, religion is less fulfilling than a relationship. John 15, he said, these things have I spoken to you that my, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. You know, when you're connected to the vine, you have fullness of joy. Religion is less fulfilling than relationship. Religious, religion is less powerful than a relationship. In 2 Timothy 5, he says there are those that, that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Because all they do is they have the form. There's nothing real and there's no power behind it. Religion is, is less fulfilling, it's less powerful, and it's ultimately less rewarding than a relationship. I mean, in Matthew 6, they were saying, look at me, I'm giving. Look at me, I'm, how much I'm giving. And oh God, I'm praying in front of everybody so they can see. And everyone's patting them on the back. But God is looking down saying, I'm not happy with that. They have their reward. So if you choose religion over relationship, when you stand before God in heaven someday, he's not going to look at you and say, oh, here's mountains of rewards. He says, no, you already got your reward. I'm not pleased with the way that you lived your life. I've got nothing to give you. You have your reward. You know, if you want fulfillment and power and you want God to be pleased with a life that, that is rewarded, trade your religion for a relationship today. Don't be satisfied with the distance. I think about marriages that grow apart. You know, and, and there are times when that happens and we are praying about some of that even this morning in men's prayer meeting and you know, sometimes it happens, and, and, and when that happens, you need to take steps to get back together, don't you? 
You don't just say, well, our marriage isn't where it needs to be and we're just going to keep on doing what we're doing and, and just hope that miraculously what we're just still doing, what we've always been doing, is going to fix it. No, that never works for anybody. No, you have to take steps. And men, if, if your marriage is not going well, men, it may mean that you have to take a week off of work without pay, but your wife is worth it because your marriage is worth it. You know, and, and you take a week off of work without pay and take her somewhere and just spend time and make things right and reconnect. And you say, I will do whatever it takes to get this right again. That's what happens when it's a marriage. And that's what happens when there's a relationship that's been broken. And listen, the same thing happens with us and God. If the relationship is not there, if there's a gap between you and God, then it is time for you to take some serious steps to make sure that it gets back right again. And you know what the thing is? He's waiting for it. He wants it. He knows that your heart is far from him. He knows that you're just going through the motions. He knows that your lips are just moving, but there's not anything real on the inside. And it's time for you to take a step. And I'm telling you, once you take a step, he will too. Maybe you've never had a relationship with God. Religion and good works will not help your problem. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You could never do enough good works to cancel your sin problem. Only Jesus, only the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that's the only way for your sin to be forgiven. Our problem is not the absence of good works. The problem is the presence of sin. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, there are really two kinds of religions in this world. A little book we give to all of our first-time guests called Done. Those two religions are this. There's the do religions and the done religion. And the do religions will tell you, you have to work and slave and do your best your whole life to hope that you can someday do enough to please God and it still might not be enough. Well, that's no way to live. Well, the done religion says Jesus Christ already did all of that. He died on the cross, shed his blood for you. And if you'll just place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, it will free you from the life of bondage that makes you think I've got to be good enough when it's impossible for you to be. It's time for us to go from this do, the do religion part over here and say, no, I'm, I, I, want my, I want the done religion. I want the part that says Jesus has already done it all. I place my faith in him alone and I'm tired of the bondage of working. I place my faith in Christ's finished work and listen, you'll never have to wonder again. Clean hands don't clean a heart, but Christ can and he will. And if you'll simply acknowledge that your, your sin and accept his payment and receive him as a person, you can spend eternity in heaven with God. Christian, have you traded religion for a relationship? Traded relationship for a religion? Maybe I should say it that way. And that you've, you've just kind of, now you've been going through the motions for a while. And you think this is going to be good enough. You'll be pleased with this. But in the end, it's empty. And in the end, you lack any power. 
And really, you lack any fulfillment and you know that you're missing out on any meaningful rewards. Listen, in the end, the Pharisees will be exposed. They look good now but they, when they were alive, but most of them right now are in a place that none of us would want to be. And, and so we just have to ask, is religion worth it? Listen, I'm not saying religion's bad. I think religion is good, but religion is an outflow of a relationship. It's not a replacement for it. And we need Christians and lost alike today to say, I'm tired of religion. I want a relationship. Would you say that this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me just ask the question, a simple question, and say, do you know, do you know 100% for sure if you died today that you'd spend eternity in heaven? Do you?